Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage together. We hope it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury, and my guest this week is Matt Leroy. Uh, Matt's an old friend of mine, but it's the first time that I've had a chance to bring him onto the show. Uh, he is the pastor of Love Chapel Hill in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, uh, which has been ministering there on Franklin Street uh, in the community, uh, far beyond the reach of uh, its own uh, walls, as it were. And uh, he's uh, a great pastor and a great leader and love hearing his heart and thoughts. He's uh, written a number of books, including Awakening Grace and The Way Forward, as well as some uh, more recent texts, including an Advent series uh, published by Seedbed. So Matt's got a lot of great ideas and a, and a huge heart uh, for people. And I've been longing for a long time. I, I pitched the idea a long time ago, but then, you know, it just took me a while to get my act together to actually schedule them. So I'm so glad to have him here this week to talk about our text, which is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on to others so they may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show as well as receive some additional content, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Matt. Yes, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Would you be willing to read the passage? Absolutely. This is from uh, NIV, the old, old version of NIV. This is the Bible I got for like my college graduation or something like that. So Nice. There you go. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, let us pray. Father, we now bend our own knees uh, to you, the Father from whom every fatherland in heaven and earth takes its name. And we ask um, for ourselves and those listening in that we would ourselves be able to grow in love and in knowledge, that we would have a knowledge of the knowledge surpassing love of your son, Jesus, 
So we are asking for knowledge, but not the mere knowledge of words and concepts, though those are in play too as your good creatures, but a true interior knowledge of the heart by which we know that which is beyond knowing, which is how much you love us in Christ and beyond knowing because it's lived out in us far beyond what we could ask or imagine. And so what I can ask, what I can imagine is that we'd have a good conversation this hour. What I could ask, what I could imagine is those listening in would would have a good preach and a great week. (laughs) But there's something more that your spirit alone can do, a dwelling within an empowerment. And so that's what we ask for today. We ask it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So what are you noticing in this text today? Yeah. So uh, I think the first thing that stands out to me is just as soon as you get into this, uh, one of the, one of the words that jumps out is that word family and just the sense in a biblical scope and the scope of the whole scripture story that when he talks about praying to the father from whom every family derives its name and how that fits into fits beautifully into some of the themes of Ephesians of how God has chosen this family to redeem the world through this family and how he is bringing the whole world into that. And so what started from this very small seed, right? With one family and how that has now encompassed the entire world and the hope and the promise, the fulfillment of that, that one child of promise that now then is fulfilled through Jesus being the the fullness of that beyond anything we could imagine that brings us all into that as his children. And so for me, and that's one of the things I always try to do when I'm preparing to preach on a passage is to look for those connections and links. I always want to look at the context of where this is taking place, who are the people that that this is being written to, um, and all of that background, but also the context of that broader scripture story. How does this fit into the whole story? So that's one of the things that jumps out to me immediately. Yeah, that's really good. And that fits real well within that larger context of Ephesians, as well as the the whole sweep of scripture of, you know, one of the contextual factors in all of early Christianity, but that seems to be on the mind of, of Paul as he writes this is, is this Jew Gentile tension, this kind of sense of a prior, of a, primary identity that somehow is more basic yes, because it's older than your Christian identity. And I think that's, I mean, that's one of the many reasons why there's so much talk of election and predestination in this kind mm-hmm. of stuff, because of course that is the language of, of Israel being an elect people, but it's also kind of in a weird way to kind of affirm yet subvert that because, you know, this, this eternal election and this being part of God's eternal purpose that's only been recently revealed is in order to kind of say, actually the Gentiles that have been included really are part of the family too. Absolutely. Um, it just wasn't known until recently, but just because it's yes. just because it happens last doesn't mean that it's lesser or secondary. You may not have been born into this community, but you were chosen for it long before you were born. So good. And there's tensions, you know, you see it in chapter two, yeah. Um, and there's this this dividing wall coming down. I, I want to talk about that word because it's a cool word. Bring it. Verse 15. So in the original, it's 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 patria. 
ex ex u pasa patria. So from whom every fatherland patria. So it's very. I, I like actually translating it fatherland, which includes family, because the sentence all of a sudden makes sense for me when I noticed that. Mm. Right. I bow my knee to the father from whom every fatherland in heaven and on earth takes its name. Interesting. Right. So like the one, so, I mean, it's this beautiful notion of how Paul thinks concepts work. It's not that we have concepts and like God, Oh, he's like a father. He's like, no, it's the other way around. God is a father. Mm-hmm. And then created all things and all the other things that we call fatherlands, family, household, all of those are actually a kind of pale imitation of the real, right. The real father that is God. And I don't know, it kind of just struck me both because it helps me make sense of the verb, you know, of being named after the father. Absolutely. Um, But also that language of fatherland is not, it's not completely foreign to us. I mean, it's, I mean, it's in our, the word patriotism is, comes from patria, right? Yes, exactly. And then actually that links then back to this Jew Gentile stuff, right? Is, well, okay, there's my fatherland. There's who I'm from. Okay, yeah. yeah, I'm a Christian now, yeah. but I'm from, yes. right? Right, and writing to Ephesus, this major influential city within the Roman Empire. So people would be there from all over, exactly. right? And then also There's, that classic, the or the, the early creed of Jesus is Lord and how that is subversive to the Roman Empire, how that would be seen as absolute treason. Yes, um, oh, good, yes. Right, so we're calling allegiance into question here. Which is an important, I mean, when we think challenging about it, the authority of the fatherland, right? So the Roman, if a Roman right. colony right. would have Romans in it who, right. who would think of their fatherland as back in Italy, back in Rome. Right. Anyone who had citizenship would have a kind of double sense of right. even if they were from Asia Minor, right. they would talk about that as their fatherland, but they would be pressured by Roman leaders to say, well, your true fatherland is Rome now. Yeah. Right. You to have these smaller allegiances as long but as, as long as they're back. subordinate. That's right. Exactly. So he, you're right. This buzz Pat, this does fit that pattern. This is saying every fatherland, even yeah. Rome, um, even Palestine, right? even your Jewish identity, which, which is elect by God in a way Rome is not right. Is nevertheless, not the, the final uh, authority. Right. That's exactly right. So that allegiance as being of Israel does not allow you to keep that dividing wall of hostility intact because yeah. the gospel has destroyed that and the kingdom of God has has destroyed that. And we're all being brought into that family. So, and Paul is writing this in prison from Rome, right? Likely. I mean, we don't, yeah. you know, it's kind of yeah. hard to construct, but yeah, it seems later. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that ah, so he's significant. That's a nice connection. A guy who is in prison, being imprisoned by the Roman Empire for proclaiming this competing kingdom that he says is not competing, it's unrivaled reign of this kingdom in this <laughs> right. And uh yeah. And so he's writing that and and man, that's powerful the the patriotism piece being brought into that and that that chief orienting allegiance above all things being aligned to Christ. Yeah. I had no awareness. Patriotism is just a word you use, right? Right. It's so obvious when you see it then that it's got this word for pater in there, right? Latin, Greek, both. That's the vater in German. I mean, it's, it's all 
common kind of Indo-European term for the, uh, for the father. And I, I first started noticing this when, I mean, this is a total aside, but I'm a geek in medieval theology. So Thomas Aquinas, a lot of times in his text, that'll, the translations will say some kind of grace in this life, and then something else will happen in the next life or the life mm. to come or in heaven. And I started looking in the Latin and, and I saw that it, most of the times when it says that it actually is in via. So on the way mm. and in patria, in the homeland. <laughs> and, and it's getting translated because those, those are like unclear terms to us, but there's actually, that's better. It's yeah. not this life, next life. It's not earth. It's heaven. It's no, it's on the way. Yes. In the fatherland, but it's very, but it's very Johannine in the fatherland is to be in the father, right? Because yes. the fatherland is really not a place. It's a person. Exactly. And now, now switching back to Pauline, you got this patria referenced here when he talks about a patria, a fatherland in the heavens. Yeah. Because, and then I'm thinking back to chapters one and two, where it says that Christ has been raised mm-hmm. and is seated in the heavenlies, mm-hmm. the right hand of God, the father. As if to say, that's our true fatherland now. That's our new home. Yes. You know, but then the the ones on earth. So it has this, it's, it's like, yeah, it's like prayer and our final hope and like politics kind of all wrapped up in one, just one little sentence. (laughs) We've only gotten through two sentences, bro. (laughs) Well, I love it. (laughs) And what you say about on the way, what was the original, like, what were we known as before? Oh, it's in via, V-I-A in Latin, in via. So along the way or on the road. Yeah. And so- Which appears in Mark all the time, you know, as Jesus is on the way. Right. And then that's what we get called in the book of Acts, the way. Yes, the way. Oh, duh. Yes. Hebrews are known (laughs) as the way, right? I forgot about that. (laughs) So Ephesus uh, in Acts chapter 19 is the riot in Ephesus. And the, the way oh. that he describes that, I love this language, the way he describes that, is about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. That because of Paul preaching the gospel in Ephesus, because of the ground that is being broken there through the preaching of the gospel, the challenge to the, the temple of Artemis and all the, the other things that are happening there. And in that line, that one statement of, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. I love it. And a riot breaks out at the founding of, of the church in Ephesus. Yeah. So this letter's coming, you know, after that. It's yeah. interesting to put those next to each other and, and think what insights that might generate even in this text. I mean, well, we already see it even in the, the opening lines that we're talking about of this kind of, because they were being accused that part of the disturbance was, People aren't buying idols. They're 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 losing their patriotic sense of being Ephesians because it was about Artemis, and it was both religion and politics all mixed up in one. Because Artemis was the patron, you know, god of Ephesus. So you're you're not being good Ephesians. Wow. Yeah. So it was economics. It was politics. Economics, it was religion all in one. There was a great disturbance on account of the way. Come on. Wow. Because the way takes its cue from the fatherland, exactly right? from the father, exactly, um, and everything else is a subordinate one to that. So it doesn't mean none of this is saying, oh, you can't be patriotic, you can't love your, you know, your culture, your history. It's yeah. just understanding where it comes from. Yeah, you know, exactly that that 
it's not final. It's Absolutely. not final. I mean, Acts 2 shows us that too. Acts 2 completely dignifies, um, not dignifies, recognizes the dignity that is inherently there in the diversity of the people who are all gathered from all of these backgrounds and the beauty that the Holy Spirit translates the gospel, not the miracle is not that all of a sudden they speak Peter's language. But the miracle is that the Holy Spirit is translating Peter's words into their heart language, into their soul language. Yeah. And going into he, the Holy Spirit in that moment as a missionary crossing these cultural boundaries, going into their homelands, into their motherlands, their fatherlands within them and speaking the gospel to them where they are. I think that's powerful. Yeah, man, this is good stuff. Hey. Well, we got through the invocation. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's take a break and come back and look at the petitions. All right. Sounds good. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Matt Leroy, and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Uh, let me just read the text again so it's fresh in our minds. This is the, well, this will be the JDV, uh, the John Drury version. <laughs> so, for this reason, I bow my knees toward the Father, from whom every fatherland in heavens and on earth is named, that he may give y'all, according to the wealth of his glory, power to be enabled through his spirit into the inner person to be dwelling the Messiah through faith in y'all's hearts, in love being rooted and grounded, that y'all may be strengthened to grasp together with all the saints what the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the knowledge surpassing love of the Messiah so that y'all may be filled unto all the fullness of God. And now to him who is powerful over all things to do that which surpasses what we could ask or conceive according to the power that is energizing in y'all. To him the glory be in the church and in the Messiah Jesus unto every generation forever and ever. Amen. 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 Yeah. So, I mean, that was a little wonky in a couple spots cause it's a, Great. it's a weird, there's some weird grammar there. So I thought I'd make, I thought I'd give a really stiff translation for discussion purposes, but yeah, I appreciate you including y'all. Yeah. That was uh, both uh, to remind us that the U's are almost always plural in exactly. Paul's letters. Uh, but more importantly, to honor our uh, friends from the South who have joined us on this. <laughs> Thank you so much. Although I was instructed when I, I, I learned that in college from Ken Shank to right. use the y'all for the plural. Right. And I went off to, to seminary and I had some friends from the South, Southern Presbyterians who said, okay. y'all isn't plural. <laughs> you, you call it in. all y'all is plural. <laughs> oh, true. That I could call an individual y'all. <laughs> I would say y'all is plural, but then all y'all includes everyone. Okay. It's the big plural. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like another level of plural. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's good. Yeah. So uh, maybe we could talk about some of these petitions. Just I'll say a quick structural thing and then we can talk about the content, which is what I want to talk about. So I think there's kind of three clauses here, 16. And you tell me if you don't agree, then we, we'll, we'll, we'll duke it out. But right. 16, 18, and then like 19B, you, okay. get a, you get a that. you know. So I pray, I bend my knee before the Father that he may give, and then the rest is kind of governed under that. And then 18, that you may be strengthened to grasp and to know. And then the third and final is that you may be filled. Mm-hmm. Unto all the fullness. So if, if I were to kind of summarize the whole flow, it's yeah. there's the invocation, 1415, the petitions run 16 to 19, yeah. and it's really in three chunks, that he may give you power to be able and to be dwelling. Yeah. Second, that you may be strengthened to grasp and to know. Yeah. And third, that you may be filled. Mm. Um, does that match your sort of as you just kind of read the flow or if I kind of read into something that's not there. <laughs> no, I can totally see that. Absolutely. I can see that. I would maybe go one difference. I would probably agree. On Please. This, one, one thing that I would see is that I see the word no, uh, mm-hmm. as the thing that ties all of it together. I think that's, that's fair. That that's his hope. That's his prayer. That he's praying, yes, for the glorious riches, for the power, for the filling, all of this, though, to be rooted and established, all of that. But all of it is about the knowing that Mm. beyond knowledge. I mean, that is my favorite line in the whole prayer. (laughs) So so I'm with you on that. But And one little just technical fact is there is an and there in verse 19. Okay. And so that and could be... It's a weird and it's a tay, but it's uh-huh. uh I mean strictly speaking, like in terms of grammar. Yeah. So there's there's like syntax and there's the substance, right? So I'll talk about the syntax, but then let's forget about that and just do the substance. But yeah. for the syntax, like verse 18 through 19a is like all one clause, you know, so that they may be strengthened to grasp, da 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 da, and to know. Yeah. Right. So the, the, since the to know in verse 19 is a infinitive, it's got to have another verb kind of driving it, which mm. is the strength. So it puts it in parallel to the grasping. Yeah. Which, right? go hand in which hand. is a knowing word too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is to know beyond knowledge because to grasp something is not simply to be able to understand facts, but it's, isn't that a, I would see that as a deeper level of knowing. This is something I can get my heart around. I can get my head around. And the same going on with to know that which is beyond knowledge. It's something yes. that has to be experienced. It's something that, yeah, maybe experience is is the word that maybe brings those two together. Oh, surely. Yeah, no, I like that experience. I, I think that starts to hint at something. I mean, this is... There are lots of Greek words for knowledge, to, for knowing. Yeah. This is the one that's used in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, mm. for the euphemistic use of know, like, and he knew her, right? So this is yada. This is a more, you know, because Paul speaks Yiddish, right? This is, a, this is a guy who thinks in Hebrew, but writes in Greek, right? right. So this is, this is like Greco-Roman Yiddish, right? So okay. you always want to think. So this is, this is intimate knowing. 
Yes. Intimate knowing. It can be used for more generic kinds of knowing, but there are a whole bunch of other words that would be used for kind of just head knowledge. Right. This, this one tends to imply a more intimate kind of knowing. Okay. And then the verb in 18. So I'm, I'm right. I'm riffing off your idea here. Let's go to grasp. And you had comprehend. Maybe what did you have when you read in the NIV? Uh, No, mine is to grasp. As grasp well. okay yeah, oh it's i had i had a version sitting out that said comprehend okay um i like grasp better because comprehend sounds cognitive yeah it keeps it in, um, in the head yeah exactly yeah Where and grasping grasp mm-hmm. yeah sometimes i'll even translate g- gnosko to know as uh um to be intimate with because mm-hmm. <laughs> it just it makes more sense and it, ha- it has that sexual connotation without forefronting it right because you know, in John 17, Jesus says that eternal, this is eternal life to know God. Yes. Right. And his son, Jesus Christ. Well, surely he doesn't mean just like knowing facts is the way to eternal life. He's saying that is eternal life. So surely he means being intimate with God and Christ yeah. is eternal life. Yes. Flowing out of, because in the same discourse, you've got uh, chapter 15, John, where he talks about abiding Yes. Time, which is extremely intimate, that, that deep connection, uh, that this exactly. is how you live, this is how you produce fruit in your life, is to abide, not, not to strive, not to produce, but it is produced in you. Yeah, so speaking of John, I mean, John chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not grasp it. Same verb. So good. Kata lambano. Yeah, same verb. So, so good. And that sometimes is said comprehend, sometimes control. I think grasp, because grasp has that double meaning. Because we yeah. use grasp to to speak of mental yeah. comprehension, yeah. but we also use it in a sense of our hands grabbing onto something. And it's perfect. He does the. I'm realizing how parallel these are. It's like a Hebrew. Uh, it's like a psalm or a proverb where it says the same thing twice. Because mm-hmm. to grasp, along with all the saints, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Yeah. So to grasp the ungraspable, exactly. right? <laughs> exactly. And then to know the unknowable. Exactly. And then measure the, at least in, in my English translation, the way that it says measure or a version of measure three different times. Or there's, yes. Or think about a, uh, how wide, long, deep, uh, high. That's, that's a, an attempt to measure. And then you're filled yes. to the measure of the fullness And then he prays not to him who is able to do immeasurably more beyond. Oh, yes. Ooh, good link. I never saw that. And I love the the grass piece too, where it is, it is a comprehending, but the darkness cannot grasp it. So the darkness cannot comprehend it, but it also in its attempt to physically grasp him. Yeah. Can't control it. Cannot hold him. Yeah. And he has overcome an ultimate victory through that. And so the darkness cannot grasp as hard as it tries. It still cannot grasp. So the ungraspable, unknowable love that God is in Christ. Paul bends the knee and asks that we would have the strength to grasp this light that can't be grasped. Yeah. You know, this this love that can't be known. Yes. So no wonder he has to pray for it. (laughs) Yeah. He has to pray that it comes out of his glorious riches because you do not have the resources within you 
although we have the longing within us and we have that heart that wants to turn towards him um, and he's drawing us and he's calling us and drawing us to himself and opening up the heart and soul to him still uh, even though our will is is involved in that opening, it still requires his glorious riches, his resources, his power, his strength in order for us to even open up to begin to understand from the beginning point who he is and what he's accomplished and what he's doing in us and who we are in him because of that. Yeah. Yeah. So much talk of power. Yeah. A lot of us has just been riffing off of your comment that you feel like the third rail here is this knowing yeah this knowing the unknowable love yeah although not it's not unknowable i keep saying that as a shorthand but it's yeah. knowing the knowledge surpassing love right so it's above and beyond yeah. knowledge so yeah. it's not has known him unknowable it's more than knowable <laughs> yeah exactly it's not less than knowable it's more than knowable that's as it so were. good that's so good and so it includes knowledge, head knowledge, but not is certainly not reducible to that. Yeah. But there's all this talk of power. And I, I think I caught you saying, tell me if I understood you correctly, that you're kind of saying earlier that really that, that knowing that awareness, that intimacy, that experience is the, is the heart of the prayer above all this talk of like kind of power and strength. Yeah. And I think that, that that resonates with me because he has this power and strength language again and again, but yeah. those are always the means. Yeah. They're not the end, right? Yeah. It's not God make me strong, right? It's God make me strong enough to know what I can't know. Exactly. So that I'll be full, you yes. know, so that I'll be filled with the fullness of God, you know? Exactly. And I think that is the core prayer of the Christian life is to, is to know him better. He prays that in chapter one. And another one of these beautiful prayers yeah. that he lays out where it's just another one of like this poetic language packed in there, just layered, mm-hmm. layered, layered on top of each other. And at the core of it, in the midst of all this thick theology and poetic language, it's the same core prayer there too, that you may know him better. And so we get the same thing repeated here. And it's so riches and the power and the fulfillment to the fullness of the measure fullness of God that you may know him, even though he is beyond our grasp, yet he makes himself known to us. And this is his deepest desire for us is that we would know him. And our deepest desire should be that we would know him, not just for the sake of, of knowing, like you've been saying, but for the sake of experience, for the sake of being transformed so that we might be changed and changed into what changed into a life that looks like his brought into that way of holiness, of sanctification, of transformation that works its way through every part of who we are until it begins to work its way out of our lives and to even change the world around us. That's the prayer. I think that's Paul's prayer for Ephesians is his prayer for us. Yeah. And the prayer of every Christian. Man, that's that's really good. I appreciated those connections back to to chapter one and that prayer there that was already so oriented, you know, around illumining our minds and receiving spiritual wisdom and knowledge to know him better, though he is immeasurable, to have a a taste of that. And 
Yeah. So what does it mean to know the love of Christ, to be intimate with the charity of the Messiah? Mm. You know, like, I think it's, it's so clear to me, even just hearing you talk about it, it's not, okay, I know things and then I'm going to do things. It, you, you spoke in this kind of overflow language mm. Mm. that there's a kind of, you know, to truly know Christ in his love is to begin to be, become like him. Yes, to yeah. become his love. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> being transformed by his love and becoming love in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, before we take a break and talk about possible ways to to preach these ideas and teach them to others, anything we want to add about the last the, the little doxology here, this last little bit, twenty twenty one. This is my father-in-law's doxology. Used it every single Sunday. My my wife adopted it. She uses it too. That's Ends awesome. every service with it. Yeah. Um, well, I have uh, for our church, different members of our church. We've uh, challenged each other to set an alarm that goes off every day at three twenty to remember to pray this prayer. Ephesians three twenty. Yeah, man. So that we would pray this. We we've got it. A.M. or P.M. <laughs> <laughs> We've got it for uh, 938, for, uh, and that's from Matthew, to pray for the harvest. Uh, We've got it for uh, Acts 2.42, to pray that we would become that kind of community that expresses the kingdom of God, what the jubilee looks like here and now. And we've got it for this, to, to pray this, to remind ourselves to pray this over each other and over the church of Jesus in mm. the world, mission and movement of Jesus in the world, uh, like Paul prayed it over us, so. Yeah, you know, one thing that I want to say about that, this is something that I'm pulling back memory from from another time when I went through this passage to preach it and, and a connection that stood out to me that was interesting and kind of weird. But the words of riches, power, fulfillment, knowledge, all of those words made me think of Solomon's story. And so this person who you know, when God gives him the choice, he, with wisdom, prays for wisdom, but he's given all of that. And so he ends up with power, with riches, with knowledge. But then that last word of filled and fulfilled, he doesn't, his story does not end with that. Yeah. Wow. And now compare that to Paul, who is, like we've said, likely writing from a prison cell uh, with execution in his future, everything that he has been through uh, as a missionary out on the road and now imprisoned for the cause of Christ. He's praying for all of these things too, right? For knowledge, for power, for for riches, for us, and then for, for fulfillment. We see all these actually lived out in his life, even though we've got Solomon sitting in a palace and you've got Paul in prison, seems like complete opposite ends of the spectrum. But Paul's the one who actually lives into that fulfillment. Uh, Solomon becomes a warning for us. And Paul becomes more of a, of an example for us and a pattern for us to walk in because he understands that the power, the riches, the, the knowledge, all of this is so centered in Jesus that Jesus is actually the immeasurably more. And it's not just about blessings, like we're wanting blessings to overflow in these other areas. And, and he recognizes that Jesus is the blessing. He's the, he's the fountain that everything else is flowing out of. 
And so, um, yeah, that's just a memory that, that came to mind here. Sorry if that's a bit of a, a rabbit trail sidetrack, but I loved it, man. Connection to the larger, to the larger story. So you got a guy in the palace, military power, riches, all that you can imagine. And he's the one who ends up saying meaningless, meaningless. Yeah. And then you got a guy in prison who's facing death. And he's the one who says, I have found the meaning that is worth living for and dying for. He is the immeasurably more than anything I could have asked or imagined. Hey, man, that's awesome. That's one one sermon starter done. Check. So let's take a quick break and explore some other sermon starters. Sounds good. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Matt Leroy. We're looking at Ephesians uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 14 through 21. Yeah. So I think I know a little bit about how to pray this text, um, mm. but how do you preach this text? How do you teach it? You mentioned already one idea. I think that's a great idea. That's the, we call that the Mandy Drury rule this year is uh, when you're doing a, when you're preaching in Paul and it's getting a little conceptual like think, okay, what's a great Old Testament story that captures this? So, that's, that's, so you, you did the Mandy Drury move. That was good. Um, although we already mentioned earlier also that maybe over the story over in Acts about Ephesus yes. would be another way to kind of bring some narrative because some of us more kind of, you know, oh, meditative absolutely. types really love Paul, but it, it, it's hard to follow sometimes for people. So yeah. offering some other biblical narratives that illustrate or that contrast. I didn't think of a contrast move Yeah, like with Solomon. That was clever. That's a good sermon. Can people steal that? Who heard this? Oh, <laughs> that was a whole sermon, man. Like we're good. We're good to go. Connection back to family there. Right. Cause the, the family it was, you're right. David and, and again, once again, this family line that he's using in order to bring the whole world under into That's right. his family and under his reign the son of David. So um, there's, there's that connection. I, I love what you just said about the Mandy Drury rule. Um, <laughs> my rule when I'm preaching Paul is to put Paul back in prison. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Nice. Yes. Okay. Put Paul back on the road. And so okay. what we can do when we're reading Paul is, is we can really get into this. We can lean so heavily into Paul as theologian that we forget that of course he's, chief theologian of the church, right? Other than Jesus, there's never been another flesh and blood person who has influenced the thinking of the church more and the theology of the church more. So, of course, he's theologian, but he's missionary and he's apostle and he's breaking ground. And so, we have- a theologian because he's a missionary. Exactly. And apostle is just the Greek word for missionary. Exactly. So we yeah. have got to get him back on the road. And that's why I, I'm trying to make that connection back to Acts. Whenever there's a connection there, connect to the narrative. And remember, this is not a guy who's writing, you know, this isn't Thoreau. Like he's not in, in a cabin in the woods, like thinking, just thinking deeply. But his life is likely on the line as he's writing these words for the cause of Jesus. So I think of him more as um, less as just a person in a study. And more like letter from a Birmingham jail. That's the kind of concept that I would press people into is to remember that. Yeah. So how does this prayer ring in our ears when we hear it on the lips of a man kneeling in prison? Yeah. Right. He even invites us by 
using this very embodied language of I bend the knee. I am, yeah, I kneel before the Father. Exactly. In this cramped prison cell, I'm going to, you know, or whatever that would have, the actual physical context would have been like. But yeah, I mean, to, to people who are in the midst of trials and difficulties, they hear this and they're like, this is easy for the guy who in my church is now forever memorialized in a stained glass window. It's easy for that guy to say that but you put him back in the context of his real life. And so it's not just theology, but it's biography at the same time. And you root it in that context to be able to understand what he actually is saying and what he's actually meaning. And when you do that for Paul, then a person who is going through the darkest moment of their lives and is wondering, am I going to make it out of this? You introduce them to a Jesus who is, able to inspire poetry from a prison cell, who gives hope to a person who has been through worse trials than, than any of us any of us could imagine. And so um, I think that's one of the, I'll, I'll stop there, but I think that's one of the connections that gets made of, of getting him out of just a study. I love, I love my study. <laughs> but, yeah. if I, but if I just stay here and I don't walk down Franklin Street, which is the main place in my community, and I don't stop and talk to my friends who are experiencing homelessness, or I don't walk across campus at the local university here and think about what I'm preaching from the context of the college student and the professor, then I lose so much in the possibility of making those connections for people to get him back out on the road. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Back in prison, back on the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, we'll keep that in mind then as we as we think about preaching and teaching a text like this. I do wonder, I mean, you mentioned poetry from a prison, mm-hmm. and I wonder how much... The, the, sometimes when I am preparing teaching or sermons on a scripture text, I really kind of kind of want to think a lot about kind of, okay, what's, how's this going to be applied to their life? And yeah, but there are other times when, especially a more meditative text like this, when I, I'm inclined to spend a lot of energy just internalizing and even literally memorizing the text and then doing what you say, like I could see how the best way to prepare a sermon on this text is to memorize it and then go walk around your community and pray it. I love you know, that. John. I love that. Maybe even quietly under your breath, just kind of, and looking around with eyes up though, not down Yeah, as Jews do. Jews don't, don't bow their heads. That's a, mm. at least at that time, that was a kind of, the idea was arms up. I mean, you even see, it says Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven. Yeah. Exactly. So the bending in the knee is the act of humility, but then the eyes up is, so then eyes up looking around kind of, where am I seeing this prayer already being fulfilled? Yes. Um, where is it? Is it not seem to be happening? Yeah. And then await patiently hasten. I love the that. arrival of, of illustrations and stories. Cause like, I mean, I'm all about, you know, I mean, if, if you've got a clever analogy, a clever parable, I do it all the time, right? I try to come up with a, a clever phrase or, a, but sometimes the text before you has a kind of grandness to it. That can be ruined by a kind of forced cheesiness, you know, like, or a forced accessibility. 
Cause like, he's literally saying this surpasses knowledge. So if all of my job is, if, if my preaching is designed to like make something super accessible, that's clearly ad it's not, it's false advertising. This yes. is not easily accessible. <laughs> How many times does he use the word mystery in the passage? Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Very good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, yes, it's a mystery that's being made known, but recognizing that this is mystery. You are being invited to step into this and for it to step into you and to transform you from the inside. I love that idea of the memorizing and then walk your community. I think that's powerful. Or prayer drive through your community in different neighborhoods that are different from the ones that you live in and ask, what does this mean here? And of course, scripture is universal in that sense that it crosses all cultural boundaries, right? And so it transcends in that powerful way because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But we have a transcendent God who willingly steps into, becomes intimate and immediate to us. And so scripture does the same thing. And so it's crossing all those boundaries. So take it with you, drive through those, drive through the neighborhoods in your community that are different from yours. Get that full scope of what your community is like and what this passage is saying to every person there. And every fatherland, every Every fatherland. Yeah. And not just for preaching, but this is one of those passages that, yeah, every single one of us needs to deposit this one somewhere deep and keep coming back to. I'm really digging that 320. Do it. That alarm. That's cool. (laughs) That's really cool. It's all about the glory of God. Right, because that's really him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or conceive. Yeah, according to the power energizing in us. Yeah, and don't miss love. Like obviously, it's 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 not just to know him, but to know yes, love. And that's another thing that has to really be leaned into here is like come to terms with the reality of love of who you are as beloved of Mm. who he is that his character that his nature that he is love what does that mean wrestle wrestle with that and so it is this knowledge of his love and how often is it knowledge that we see that ends up making us an enemy of god hmm Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about if you think about the Pharisees who are constantly in opposition to Jesus, but they're doing that from a place of perceived knowledge, um, right, and perceived mastery of it. But there's it's not a mastery thing; it's a surrender thing. It's a being broken thing, and being transformed by His love, His heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's really good. So then. So John Wesley defines holiness how over and over again, when he gets pressed and asked, he he comes back to the word love over Mm. and over again. He comes back to the great commandment. He said, this is what holiness is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's holiness. Yeah. And so it fits then. I mean, that Paul is praying his people that us, would have a, an intimate knowledge of the love of Christ because it's that from which we love not, we don't, we're not sort of like, let's see if I can love well enough so that he'll love me back. No, he loved us first. Mm. In many ways. I mean, this is kind of the parallel to, 
first John four, right? Mm. Um, you know, we didn't love him first. He first loved us. And so we love one another. Yeah. Yeah. I could see because of the centrality of knowledge here, this could be a good opportunity depending on how frequently this would come up in a community to talk a little bit about the place of knowledge in the Christian life. Right. And kind of clarify a little to say, this is knowing the unknowable. This is, this is grasping the ungraspable. Um, And yet there is a kind of an intimacy does include knowledge. Like if, if I were to say, you know, like you say, like if I just knew a bunch of facts about my wife, that wouldn't count as love. But if I didn't know anything about my wife, you right. might wonder if I actually love her, right? Like there, there is some information, right? Like, <laughs> and so like clarifying that a little bit. I don't know. I just love her. Yeah. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And so there's something beautiful in Paul's. Oh, it's so good. You got to know him. Um, yeah. But what you're knowing here is, is not just concepts and ideas. It's knowing yeah. his love, but that includes a story. Yeah. And and some facts, but, uh, but it's meant to inspire this, uh, this fulfillment, yeah. uh, this, this fullness yeah. of God that's then overflowing yes. so that, so that we become imitators of God as to yeah. use a language that comes later in the book of Ephesians, exactly. but rooted and established in love. Yeah. So I, that was one last thing I wanted to ask. This might even be relevant to, to sermon preparation. Again, I think the best way to prepare any teaching on this text is to pray it and feel it and live it and then see what emerges. But having said that, there is this double reference to love. You said rooted and rooted and grounded in love, rooted and established. So it's like, there's two different images here, I guess, is there's this, the image of knowing is, is understood as grasping. Yeah. So there's kind of grasping this, this object way bigger than you. Right. And then there's this language of roots yeah. and grounding. And I feel like, I mean, maybe this is too cheesy, but I, I, images can be helpful. I mean, I can imagine it, I just, I, I can't help it. I, I'm looking out my window here. I got this huge yeah. tree, right? Yes, exactly. And I could see like, I can't get my arms around that tree. Yeah. You know, the whole thing is just huge, yeah. you know? Yes. Um, but that at the same time, it's also those deep roots, right? And I don't know, I feel like there's some images that could be played with here to just really sing the praises of God's love and then invite our people to open up a desire, a hope to become more enamored with um, how much God loves us in Christ. Yeah, exactly. If the, if the roots uh, begin to fail in a tree, if, if we're not rooted and established in love, then we're never going to have the fruit of the Spirit on our branches, right? We're never going to have that bearing mm-hmm. that fruit in our lives of the fruit of the spirit is love. It's where it begins. And so I think that's an excellent image to play around with and uh, to spend some time thinking about. And even, even that rooted and grounded it's, this is the beginning. Um, it will begin its outward work. And so the rooted and grounded is something that is not visible as much. It is beneath the surface. It is right. That the Holy Spirit is doing within us, according to his glorious riches and the spirit in our inner being, Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. And so there is. Yeah, that's all very interior language. You're right. This is all hidden things. Yes. Roots, hearts. Yes. Faith. Yes. Versus sight. Yes. Inner self, inner man. The spirit cannot be seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
and these things. I that see that interiority be, there that I missed. Yeah. And then the outward is, is the fruit that's, that is bearing in our, in our lives. Right. And so um, you have all these things that he's saying can't be measured or, or he's using measure, but mm-hmm. he's using the, how long, how wide, how deep can you possibly grasp that? No, it's a knowledge beyond even something that we can, you cannot measure it immeasurably more measure of the fullness of God, like all of this, but you know, what can be measured is there are ways of measuring the extent of our love. Uh, you can't, <laughs> right. But there are measures of our own lives of, do I have the fruit of the spirit in my life? Is it visible? Is the hungry world around me tasting the fruit of the spirit in my life? And if not, why? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. The immeasurability of God and then the, the, the measures of love, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh man. Right under the gun. That's like one more. That's a whole other sermon, right? Yeah. The, the immeasurable love of God and the measures of our love or something. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to toy with an idea there. So, well, we have four different ideas and some general advice. So hopefully there's uh, something edifying and equipping in what we've talked about today. I'm, I certainly was inspired and I love talking with you today, Matt. Thanks so much for making time. Appreciate you. Appreciate what you do and love the podcast. It's fun. Thanks. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks so much. And and thanks as always to all our listeners out there. We appreciate you chiming in and getting the word out about the show. Thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this without you. And uh, thanks especially to our patron saints who support the show. If you want to Find ways to support the show. Just go to patreon.com slash fresh text to find ways to do that. And with that said, we say, have a great preach (laughs) and a good week. All right. (laughs) 